welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're finishing our series today called Life Worth Living. Life Worth Living. We've taken a look at the book of Ephesians together and sort of surveyed that. And Jason Torrance just did a wonderful job planning the whole series out from the beginning of autumn until now. And today we're going to close it up. Ben Barnhart, our community life pastor, has some wonderful things in store for us for the Advent series. Ben has planned the contemplative Christmas that's coming up and also all of the Advent teachings that will be be uh, receiving in the month of December. So you're not going to want to miss that. And then Jeff Fail is going to be planning a series in the spring. It's going to be amazing. Everything's just going to be amazing all the time. So we just had just such a fun time looking at the book of Ephesians together. And this morning we're going to close that series on the armor of God or strength in the Lord. I felt from the Lord this week that it was important to dig into how do we find strength in the Lord. I felt like we needed to focus on um, where, where do we get that from? How, how do we stand firm when Paul tells us like four times in this last chapter of Ephesians to stand firm? How, how does that happen in our life? And what does that look like in our lives? So we're going to be in Ephesians 6, if you wanted to turn or swipe there with me. And I'm going to read Ephesians 6. I'm going to backtrack a little bit to where Jay was last week and then go through verse 20. So we're going to start in verse 10. And Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador and change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. So why do we need strength? Paul says that we're to find our strength in the Lord. In specific times, Paul calls the day of evil when we need to know how to find strength in the Lord. These are times that we all experience. If you have a heartbeat in the room this morning, you've experienced the day of evil. 
whether it looks like pressure in your family, in your marriage, with one of your kids, in your workplace, in your health, or in your finances, so that you don't know how to find strength in the Lord. And at the end of the day, we end up feeling like we're getting crushed like an empty can of Diet Coke. How, how do we find strength? Well, to put in context of where we've been, again, last week, Jay sort of talked about this beginning passage and standing firm, and then closing the series today, where have we been? Well, Paul is talking about this new humanity that Jesus is forming. In the first couple of chapters, it's like this declaration of God's promises over your life and over my life. He said that you're no longer this, but now you're this. You're no longer darkness, but now you're light. You're no longer enemies of God, but now you're his friends. And he goes on and on and makes these comparisons and contrasts these two, uh, these two polar opposite ideas until he works towards chapters 4 through 6, where we've been the, uh, the past month or so. And in those chapters, he talks about the real feet on the pavement type of things. He talks about, okay, so there's this idea, you're you're a new creation. So what? You're a new human being. You're, You're actually a new race of people if you claim Jesus as Lord. The old uh, barriers, the old definitions in society no longer apply to you. You're known as a Christian. You belong to Christ. And so, with all of that in mind, what does it look like to live that life? We talked about wives and husbands, different family dynamics. We talked about uh, parents and kids. We talked about our workplaces. All of those sort of practical things that Paul is talking about, how followers of Jesus should act. Does it make a difference in our lives? So what? We sit in a chair for a couple of hours on a Sunday? Does it make any difference at all in our nine to five? And that's where the scripture is so relevant to our lives today. And Paul's saying it does. It makes a huge difference that you claim Jesus as Lord. And what he's talking about here, being strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Why, why does Paul ask here? Is Paul just putting this as a by the way or an addendum or like P.S., be strong in the Lord? I don't think so. It's really important. It's really significant that Paul says, be strong, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Because Paul knows a mystery here. He doesn't just say, okay, here are all these things, now go live it. Amen. And what Paul knows and reminds the the church at Ephesus and then reminds us here at Vineyard Cleveland in the church in Jesus Church today around the globe is the reality that we are in a battle. We're really engaged in warfare. 
every day, every moment, whether we like it or not, we're in a battle. And sometimes we have this illusion in our minds that the way, by the way we try to live and the way we think about life, like it's supposed to be some sort of Caribbean cruise. I read this story about this woman. Actually, it came up in conversation, and then I did some research on it. There's this woman, um, what was her name? Judith Witherspoon, I think it was Witherspoon. And she found out that the assisted living costs in America for retirement were extraordinarily high. And what she found out was that she could live on a cruise ship for less money than she could receive care in assisted living. And so she thought, I'm just going to live out my days on a cruise ship. That's a wonderful idea if you could swing it. But isn't this the way that we think that life should be a lot of times? We think that our decisions should be no more difficult than choosing steak or lobster for dinner. It's a toughie. And what Paul is saying here is that life is not all smooth sailing. It's just not. And we see the way that we live like this, thinking that life is a cruise and all smooth sailing, in the decisions that we make. People living in gated communities, for instance, or sending kids to some exclusive private school, and so forth and so on. We do everything in our power to increase our security and our safety and our sense of tranquility in this world. And this is one of the great problems facing the church and facing Christians in our age, that we think that life should be a cruise. It ought to be like lying in a hammock in my backyard with no storms and no struggles. So these statements that Paul is making here through verse 20 are such an anchor for us in the midst of the battle. Paul calls us back to the real world. Away from the illusionary cruise, we hear it all the time in the way that we share our problems. I don't know why this is happening to me. Have you ever said that? I don't understand why this is happening to me. Why, why is life like this for me? I'm under so much pressure. Something must really be wrong. God must not exist. He's forgotten about me. Things should be easier than this. Have you ever said that one? What did I do wrong? Come on, Jules. I must have done something wrong to deserve this because life should be easier. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12, he says, dear friends, he's talking to us, the church, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We live in the middle of a broken world, in the midst of a raging battle. It's normal for cars to get in accidents. It's normal for cars to be totaled, 
for pressure in our families, in our workplace, to not have the money we want, for things to break down, for struggles in relationship. Why do we need strength from the Lord? Why do we need it? Because life isn't a Caribbean cruise. It's a battle. And every time God introduces a purpose or a plan in your life, or in the church, or over the earth, it's fought over. It's contested. Because the kingdom is coming. The world is fought over and it's opposed by the devil. Does God want people to be reconciled together, living in harmony and peaceful relationships with one another? Does he want that? Sure he does. Well, then the devil's going to come and he's going to sow conflict, fighting, suspicion, mistrust, gossip, and slander. Does God want to create a new society in which racial and ethnic barriers are broken down among people, then Satan wants to rebuild those racial and ethnic walls. He wants to sow into the church racial divisions so that we have a white church and a black church and a Hispanic church and an Asian church. Does God want people to live in purity and holiness? Then Satan is going to oppose that and draw people into perversion and pornography and uncleanliness. Have you found life to be a struggle for you? If you're in a season where the pressure is really building, the day of evil has come. No, no day, no two days are the same. No day is exactly like another. Don't be deceived but you're always in a battle. And in particular seasons, the battle is really fierce, isn't it? The pressure is high. Paul calls these times the day of evil. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. The enemy is said to be prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to kill, to steal from us, to destroy us. Did you know that? That there is an active power. I'm not talking about like boogeyman stuff. There's an active power that's out to destroy your life and my life. It's not hocus pocus stuff. There is a real enemy who is out to get you. If you claim Jesus and you've made your allegiance known to Jesus, the enemy is opposed to you. He doesn't, he wants to keep you in depression. He wants to keep you in addiction. And he'll try anything to get your eyes off of Jesus, off of the cross. So why do we need to find strength in the Lord? Because the greatness of the power arrayed against us and the weakness of our own wills and our own flesh. Look at how Paul describes the opposition that every follower of Christ faces in verse 12. Look at verse 12 a minute. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Why does Paul say it like that? You ever thought about that? Why, why doesn't he just say, hey, there's demons out to get you? 
really. He doesn't just say, you will encounter demons somewhere along the way. He shocks us into reality by lining up the forces that are arrayed against us. Rulers, authorities, powers, and forces. So in other words, the battle that you and I are engaged in is not with the person that's sitting next to you, husband's wife. It's not necessarily with your annoying coworker who gossips about you. In other words, we're like, the, these forces that are lined up against us, we're like Samwise and Frodo, and we're going into the very heart of Mordor. We really are, truly. The battle Paul speaks of rages, and the enemy uses different ways to stir up attacks. We read all over scripture that the enemy uses other people to bring accusation or attack against us. Have you ever wondered that? Why, do, why does it feel, other than you, you just have a natural default and chip on your shoulder and think that everyone's against you all the time, I would say that some of that is possibly demonic. Think about it. Does God, does God want you to believe that other people, other creatures that he's created are against you? Does he want you to think that way? Who wants you to think like that? That other people are against you? It's the enemy. Have you ever had questions like that? Why are these people coming against me? I thought this spat was worked out. Why did that person stab me in the back? Satan can stir up people against you. Did you know that? We see it all throughout the book of Job. Remember in Job, when Satan goes before the throne of God and he says, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I, I, I bet, I bet you, God, that I can turn Job's heart from you. And God says, you can do whatever you want. Job's heart is mine. I love that guy. And then Satan does it. He uses every ploy to attack Job. He stirs up people to attack Job. Have you ever heard someone say something about you which was mean or hateful or had a particular power to wound you? You've had a lot of negative things said to you, but this one thing seemed like energized, like it was a dart or a knife just stuck in you. And you can't shake it. You keep on thinking about that thing that they said over your life. Or perhaps it was words that were spoken to you that were energized to seduce you. They drew you into an addiction or a relationship or into a behavior that was wrong or that you were overwhelmed by. Satan can attack you through other people. Energize their words and their actions so as to wound you, to demoralize you and seduce you. Satan can use other people to stir up attack against you, but most times the battle rages in our own minds. The battle is in between the ears. It really is. He can stir up thoughts of depression, of doubt, of unbelief, anxiety, and lust, anything to get your eyes off of the cross. He will try and use 
And these times when we feel the pressure, when we sense we're being attacked, the first step in engaging with the enemy is often the most counterintuitive. Did you know that? We're talking about strength. And the first step in engaging these accusations. In Scripture, your enemy, Satan, is called the accuser of the brothers and sisters. So if you hear an accusatory thought, you can be sure that it doesn't come from God. That thought does not come toward, or from God. And in these times, the way that we engage those thoughts is so counterintuitive. A lot of times in different like church kind of circles, it's like name it and claim it, right? And, I, and there's, some, there's some merit in that, don't? <laughs> there are some times where, right, right, Paul says, take your stand. Take it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But there's some, there's some circles where it's like um, the way that you engage with attack or accusation over your life or in your heart or in your head, it's like sweeping it under the rug and trying to avoid it or not um, address it. I'm doing fine. I just won't hear it. Take, take, we quote scripture over ourselves. Take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. I'm just not going to think about that. But did you know the, the most um, effective way in dealing with these accusations is often the most counterintuitive. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13.5 that we're to examine ourselves, realizing that Christ is in us. Are we in touch with ourselves enough to know of our access points, our soft spots, our triggers, our dark veins? Because you and I both have them. We all have them. I have dark veins running in my life. I have access points where the enemy knows if I can just get him to think about these people this way, then he's going to take his eyes right off of Jesus. So I'm going to try that, right? Are we aware enough? Are we in touch with ourselves enough to realize that we, our wills, are not sufficient in doing battle with the enemy? They're just not. They're not. And we need to have enough self-awareness to recognize that there are situations where our will is weak. The soft spots in our lives, the tendencies that give the enemy access. What is it for you? What is it for me? When you examine your life, is it the need for success? Is the soft spot for you the need to impress others? Perhaps it's the avoidance of responsibility. Maybe it's a willingness to compromise. We can't be the ones, Vineyard Cleveland, let's not be the ones who say, I've heard, I've heard this one over and over again. We're all chat with somebody who's just blew it. They just messed up big time. And they're crying and they say, I thought I could handle it. I thought I could, I thought I could do it on my own. Let's not be like that. So how do we do it? How do we engage these accusations? 
when we consider how weak our wills really are, it's helpful to consider the call of God. Okay? The call of God. Paul tells us four times the purpose of discovering God's strength is, in, is to, the purpose of, disco- of uncovering God's strength, discovering it, is to enable us to stand up, to stand. 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And rather than this morning going through like the list of like the armor, like it's some Sunday school thing, like the helmet of salvation, like what's that mean? I don't know. I mean the gospel shoes of peace. Do you have your gospel shoes of peace on today? It sounds so Southern and uh, which is wonderful. I mean, it's, it sounds so Sunday school and going through the list and do you have them on this checklist? I think that that, that we that the lord wants us to hear this morning that he it's he wants us to discover this strength because it's for us to stand firm he's giving his strength to us to stand firm and it's simple paul encourages us to withstand and simply stand even when it's all going wrong stand It may be tough in my marriage. It may be tough with my work. But I'm still standing. He's saying, don't give up. Vineyard Cleveland, Paul is saying, God God is saying through the Apostle Paul some 2,000 years ago to your heart, don't give up. Don't give in. Take your stand. There is no retreat. When Sarah and I counsel couples who are planning to get married, we often tell them this. There is no escape hatch. Divorce is not an option for you. If we're officiating the wedding, divorce is not an option for you. Ever. Ever, ever. There is no withdrawing. There is no retreat. You're in this. Why? Because Christ is committed to you and I. There's no withdrawing from this. Christ is holding me. There's no escape. I'm going to take my stand. When the enemy comes and says, what's wrong with a little compromise? You can watch a little porn and not be affected by that. We stand. When the enemy comes and says, this relationship at work, it's tough. Just quit. We stand. So where do we find strength? When we clearly see from the scripture, it isn't found in us. We run. If we're honest with one another this morning, if there is a corner, we'll cut it. If there's an opportunity, we'll run. If there's a towel, we'll throw it in. We're quitters. We're compromisers. We're notorious compromisers. Now I know we like to idealize ourselves and we like to say, I am the salmon swimming upstream. I do take my, I am, yeah, Paul, amen. Tell, tell all these other people. 
Amen, Paul. Tell them. All these sinners, you tell them. Because I'm not like that. I stand. I'm with you, Paul. But the truth is, we compromise all of the time. All the time. We fail in our commitments. Our wills are weak. We give in to our addictions. Time after time after time after time. So that strength that Paul is talking about, it certainly is not found in us. And what Paul has said in Ephesians, what Jason and I really wanted, we felt like God wanted us to hear throughout this whole series, are those two little words that are so powerful. In Christ. The strength is in Christ. It's not found in good intentions It's not found in better school systems. It's not found anywhere in government. It's not found anywhere else. It's the strength you need, the strength I need. It's found in Christ. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and, the Christ, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Where do we find strength in the day of evil? We find it in Jesus. He's the only one, y'all. He's the only one who's bigger and stronger than the attack that we're currently facing. We need something stronger. We need something stronger than self-help campaigns. We need something stronger than little thumbs-ups and red hearts on Facebook. We need something stronger than culture's good intentions. Jesus says in John 14 that the enemy has absolutely no hold over him. Do you know that? That while the rest of creation, there are access points and soft spots, Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, not me. Jesus has no soft spots, no tendencies at which the enemy could break in. He says in John 14, the enemy has got nothing on me. He's got no hold on me whatsoever. And here's how this works in our lives. Are you ready? Here's how it works. So say you've sinned. You say, me? No? Yes. If you have a heartbeat, this is for you. (laughs) And Feel free to take a holy nap if you want to. It'll sink in. It's okay. Hang with me. We're getting getting there. I'm not going to say we're almost done. Don't you hate that when speakers are like, one last thing, and then they speak for like another 20 minutes. You're like, I thought you said one last thing. You said one last thing like three times ago. Okay, here's how this works. You've sinned. You've really blown it. You've done a big one or a little one. And we all have. What's the remedy? What's the remedy? Revelations 12:11 says that they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. By the blood of the lamb. You know how this works out. You sin, 
and the stream of accusations come flooding over your heart and over your mind. Look at what you've done. Look at what you failed to do. You blew it. You're a failure. You're you're worthless. You simply can't be a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You're a hypocrite. You know you shouldn't have done that, but you did it anyway. Who's ringing in with these? These are just a few of mine. Feel free to take any of your own at any. You missed another opportunity to serve God. Here's another area where you're not fulfilling your obligations. You're a loser. You're a loser as a parent. You're a loser as a student. You're a loser as a provider. You'll never stop this eating disorder. You'll never be able to overcome your emotional problems. You've hurt your spouse too badly this time. There's not going to be forgiveness this time. You you made your bed, and now you've got to lie in it. What Satan is doing is he's trying the best he can to get you to believe that you can pay for your own sin. Think about it. He's keeping you from grace. Because what do we do when we hear all of these things, all of these accusations? He knows that once you agree with him on any of these accusations, any of them, once you give and, and you agree with Satan on what he says about who you are, he's got you. He's got you right where he wants you. Because what happens You'll be begging to, you'll, you'll be begging. You, you'll say to God, you and I both, we're like this. We'll try harder. I'll try hard. I won't, I'll never do that again. Then what are you doing? You're earning your own salvation. And that's not Jesus. Satan's got you right where he wants you. When, when he gets you to, Agree, surrender to what he says about you. You're a loser. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You're just like how your dad said you are. All of these things. Then he's got you. There's only one way to deal with these accusations that we all hear. There's only one way. It's not surrendering, it's not agreement but it's admitting our failure. That's why it's counterintuitive. We admit we've blown it, that it's no one else's fault but ours. We take responsibility. We don't blame our childhood, even though it might have been horrific. We don't blame our parents for the way that we are today. We have no hope except for the person of Jesus. Jesus' blood on the cross means that you and that I were innocent. We're innocent. God is my judge. And when he looks at me through the shed blood of Jesus, he sees innocent. You are not vile, you are not worthless. You are not a loser. You are not a failure. 
You are acquitted, you are loved, you're cherished, you're adored, you are not these things. You are free. You're free indeed. You don't have to align with these old agreements anymore to try and work off or pay off your own sin. You're free. Jesus' blood at the cross is for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Listen to the hymn writers of old. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. How about this one? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. There is power, there is power, there is wonder-working power. Where? In the precious blood of Jesus. Answer every accusation, brother, sister, friends, mothers, fathers in the room. Answer every accusation with the blood of of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus over our kids. We plead the blood of Jesus over our past. And we're told in Hebrews that because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. So he sits after the resurrection at the right hand of the Father. And so it's not just for those sins 20 years ago. It's for the present. He's current. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you right now? Outside of time, Jesus is speaking in, praying for you. That's crazy talk. (laughs) That Jesus is praying for you. Don't you want to know what he's praying? You want to know what Jesus is praying? When I consider all of my weakness and all the weaknesses of our church, and all the open doors and entry points in our culture, how is it that I can have hope and confidence? Because Jesus is my perfect, holy, and indestructible high priest at this very moment standing in heaven while I speak to you, while you sit here, when you go to bed at night, when we're driving in a car, when we're watching Netflix, when we're fighting with each other, when things are unraveling, Jesus Christ is standing in heaven praying for you and me. He's praying for our church. Did you know that? Jesus loves Vineyard Cleveland. And he's praying for our church. He's praying for us. He's praying for the church in our, in our city. Jesus loves the church in Cleveland. He's praying for the church in Cleveland. He's praying for the church in America. Man, he's praying for the church in America. God love him. He does. Somebody's got to. He's praying for his people around the world, and that's awesome. While we sit here, Jesus, our pure high priest, is praying for us. That's the difference between Judas and Peter. You thought about that? The difference between Judas and Peter is that Jesus said, Peter, I prayed for you. Satan wanted to sift you like wheat. I prayed for you. 
Why did Peter come back and Judas hang himself? Jesus was praying for Peter. Finally, some of you tracking. Finally, I feel God would want us as a church to realize this that the Jesus, the Christ who reigns over all that we sang about, that we sang to this morning, that we worshiped, who reigns over all, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, who's praying for you right now, he also lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. This is the secret. This is the mystery. Colossians 1.27, Paul says, this is the mystery, that it's the hope, Christ, the hope of glory in you. Christ in you. If you've received him into your life, there he is. In you. This is why at the vineyard we pray, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your, come Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. And do you know that you and I don't have to fight this battle alone? We don't have to go at it alone. You're not alone. You're just not alone this morning. That community, open and honest and vulnerable and life-giving community is one of God's greatest treasures. We don't have to fight alone. Community is the lifeline that God is throwing us. Over and over in the book of Hebrews, we read, encourage one another. Literally, in in the Greek, encourage one another. Literally, put strength in each other. Put strength in. You're not just going up to people on a Sunday and saying, hey, how was your week? My week's fine. How was your week? I'm doing great. Everything's good. Kids are good. Wife's good. Everything's great. Great, 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 great. No. When we come into contact with another person who follows Jesus, Paul says we're to encourage one another, literally to put strength in. Put strength in that person. Christ living in you, put strength in that person. I experience this when I meet with you all. You put strength in me. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So good. Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. There it is again. Let us put strength in one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Fam, vineyard fam, we live in a day of evil. We do. There are many of you who are under siege in your homes. You're at war. In your work, in your bodies, in your relationships, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and allow other followers of Christ, allow community to help you find strength in God in your time of need. In the day of evil, allow others to come alongside of you 
That's what the church is for. That's who he's purposed us to be. We're going to do ministry now because I, I believe that others are here in the room. You're going through attack in your life. You're keenly aware. You didn't, you didn't need a 30-minute talk to remind you that you're in a battle right now. Would you join me in standing 